Well, welcome to The Crossing today. So good to see you. If this is your first time here, we are especially honored that you would be here. And here's one of the things that we believe. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, this is a safe place to take your next steps. Well, before we go on, let me welcome our Southeast campus, those who are watching online, our microsites. Can we just give them a big hand? Welcome them. Glad you're part of the Crossing family with us. Well, today is day eight of our 21 days of prayer, that as a church, we're taking 21 days to pray for each other, to pray for our church, to pray for our community, that we believe that God changes hearts and changes circumstances when we pray. And so every morning on our social media accounts and on our website, we have a 60-second devotional that comes up based on the topic of the day. We have a scripture and a prayer focus, and it is not too late for you to jump on board, that we would love for you to go on this prayer journey with us and to see how God transforms us in this 21-day journey. Well, when I was growing up, we would go to Sunday night church. Now, Sunday night church is different than what we do here at The Crossing. It was a separate service, and it was kind of like all the leftovers from Sunday morning. The choir might sing the same song that they did in the morning. Somebody who couldn't quite sing, they would let them sing on Sunday nights. It felt like our pastor was kind of winging it because he'd already spoken once in the morning, and, you know, other people would get to speak. But the reason that I loved going on Sunday night is because afterwards our youth group would go out for pizza. And so as a high school student, we would put up with a really bad church service so we could go be with our friends afterwards. See, that is the power of relationships. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We are in week two of our series called Hills to Die On. And maybe you've used that expression before. You know, that's just not a hill that I'm willing to die on. That that issue might be important to you, but it's not so important that you're just going to stick your your heels in the ground and die on that. But sometimes there is an issue, there is a conviction that is worth dying for because it is the core of who you are. That's what this series is about, that as a church, that we have some core convictions that we just believe. They are heels that we are willing to die on. Now, they may not necessarily be matters of salvation, But these are things that we believe this is how God designed us to be. And this series is based on a verse that comes out of Acts chapter 2. Acts is the book of how the early church began. And look what it says about this early church. It says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That in this scripture right here, you see three different things that made this early church so powerful. Last week, I introduced what we call around here, we call it the Great Commission engine. Now, you know the Great Commission, that's where Jesus says, go and make disciples. And so we begin to ask the question, well, what is it that turbocharges that? How How do people really come to Christ? What makes the early church so powerful? And it was these three elements. It was the temple courts missional outreach, and house to house. That the early church, they met in the temple courts. This was the courtyard of the temple where they would come together and they would worship together, they would pray together, they would teach God's word to each other. 
And then they had this missional outreach. It says that they were selling their possessions to meet the needs of the people. Here's what's amazing. By Acts chapter 4, it says that there was no needy person among them. And then house to house, that they would get together at each other's house, and they would eat together, they would encourage one another. And this right here, these three things made this early church so powerful. And today, we're going to talk about this one right here, this house to house, this need for community. And let me just give you this hill that we're willing to die on right up front. It's this right here, is that true spiritual transformation will never happen apart from community. That true, authentic, spiritual transformation needs other people in your life to help you. One of the ways that we say it around here is we say that life change happens best in relationships. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 11. And let me give you the background of what's happening in this story, that the children of Israel are wandering in the desert for 40 years, that God called Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. But for Moses, he didn't want this job to begin with, that he had been, he had been watching sheep for 40 years. He had been a shepherd in the desert. And one day when he's out in the desert, he sees this bush begin to burn and it's not consumed. And God speaks to him through this bush. He says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses actually said to God, would you just send somebody else? You know, don't, don't send me, send somebody else. But he finally goes. And if you have ever tried to lead people, then you know how difficult it can be. You know that it is lonely at the top. Well, we're going to pick up this story in Numbers chapter 11, verse 10. It says, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled that every time the children of Israel faced a hardship, whether they were out of food, whether they were out of water, whether they were in danger, they blame Moses. And what is happening here is they are getting tired of eating manna. God provided manna for them and they had it for breakfast. They had it for lunch. They had it for dinner. They had it for an afternoon snack. They had it before they went to bed and they are sick of manna and they want meat to eat. Well, have you ever noticed how complaining is contagious? If you have one of your kids that starts complaining, it's like the other kids are going to be, you know, I can outdo that. You know, I can complain even more. It says the people of every family were wailing. What goes on, it says, he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you would put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on an oath to their ancestors? I mean, do you notice this child care language? Are these my babies? Did I go to the delivery room and give them birth? God, this is your fault. This is your fault. Why have you brought this trouble on me? Why have you told me to carry all of these people? God, they blame me, so I'm blaming you. God, this is your fault. And he goes on, he says, where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. 
I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. And now we get to the bottom of this. Because for Moses, he's saying, I can't do this by myself. This burden is just too heavy for me. See, here's what happens when when you're in isolation. Here's what happens is, is you start creating a story that is not true. If Darla and I, if we have a misunderstanding, I begin to create a story around that misunderstanding. I begin to create the story, well, she just doesn't appreciate how hard I work. She doesn't notice all the things that I do. And I start creating a story that is not true. And it affects the way that I treat her the next time I see her. See, here is the story that Moses has created. I'm all by myself. There is no one to carry the burden of these people with me. Everyone is blaming me for what they're going through, and God doesn't even care. God's just left me on my own, and he doesn't even care. Now, what we will see is none of that's true, but that is the story that he's created. And listen, if you don't have people in your life, if you don't have people that you have given permission to speak truth into you, the same thing will happen to you as well. Moses says, if this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and then do not let me face my own ruin. He's like, God, if this is how you're going to treat me, just kill me. God, if you really like me, if I found favor in your eyes, then just let me die now. See, he's discouraged. He's disillusioned. He's full of despair. Have you ever prayed this prayer? I have. I've prayed this prayer. I can't take it anymore. I would rather die than to carry this burden. See, Moses isn't the only one who has a meltdown like this. Elijah, who's one of the hero prophets of the Old Testament, has a similar moment of desperation. Elijah has the greatest victory that he's ever had in his life, that he defeats all of these false prophets. God shows up in a big way, and then he finds out that Queen Jezebel wants to kill him. Now, if you've ever heard of the name Jezebel, this is the one. This is where that name comes from. It's in this story, and so she is out to kill him. And so Elijah finally says to God, I am the only one left. And then look what he says. It says, he came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush, and he fell asleep. And when he wakes up, God has provided food for him to eat, to give him some nourishment. And then God says, Elijah, you're not alone. You're not the only one who's still following me. He says, I have 7,000 others who are just like you who have been faithful to me. See, here's what we need to understand is Moses isn't complaining against God. He's coming to God. He's just praying this honest prayer. And isn't there something inside of you and inside of me that says, is that okay? Can, can I pray this kind of prayer? Let me, let me assure you that God can handle your meltdown. God can handle your desperation and your despair. He is big enough for that. Well, God finally answers him. 
It says, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. Well, when the, when the children of Israel, when they were wandering in the desert, they would set up this tent. It's also called in scripture a tabernacle. So when you hear the word tabernacle, don't think of this elaborate cathedral. It was a tent. And inside this tent housed the Ark of the Covenant. You remember Raiders of the Lost Ark? Remember Indiana Jones was, was trying to find the Ark of the Covenant? This is it. I mean, this is the original one right here. And inside the Ark of the Covenant... They kept the Ten Commandments that God had given Moses at the top of Mount Sinai. And it represented the presence of God. And the tent of meeting, it was where they would go to meet God. As the the children of Israel wandered around the desert, whenever they settled someplace, they would set up this tent, and it's where you would go to meet God. And God says to Moses, don't come alone. I want you to bring the 70 people who are the best leaders that you know to come with you because they are going to stand with you at that moment. They are going to be there with you. He says, I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you do not have to carry it alone. In the Old Testament, God would give the Holy Spirit to certain people for a certain purpose. That God gave the Holy Spirit to Moses so that he would have the power to lead the children of Israel from Egypt all the way to the promised land. And here's what God says. He says, I'm going to take the same Holy Spirit that I've put on you and I'm going to put it on these 70 so that they can help carry this burden. They can share the load of all these people with you. But I don't know if you notice this. It's like God uses the same language that Moses uses because Moses says, I can't carry these people by myself. And God says, I never intended for you to carry it alone. Moses says, this is too heavy. I cannot carry it anymore. And God says, they will share the burden of the people with you. They will share it with you. See, Moses keeps his his hands open to God. He doesn't complain against God. He's coming to God with his burdens because God's shoulders are big enough. So here's what I know is that in this room, when we come together, there are hundreds of you, there's hundreds of us that bring incredible burdens in here. Oftentimes, what brings us back to church. There are some of you that are carrying burdens that are more than you can bear. It's more than you can carry right now. See, here's what God teaches us, that true spiritual transformation will never happen apart from community. And what we learn from Moses is if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you go together. See, for Moses, if, for he was escaping in his life, And so for him, you know, I can go faster on my own. But he needed people in his life to go further. See, here's what's so powerful about what God does. God doesn't just take the burden away from us. He helps Moses carry it. See, this is so helpful for me. Because there's oftentimes where I begin to pray, 
God, would you take this burden? And my burdens don't normally suddenly go away. But God provides strength to get through it. See, Moses is used to being alone. He had his biggest failure in Egypt. He had his biggest failure. He grew up in Pharaoh's home, and at 40 years old, he kills an Egyptian. He's found out, and he goes on the run. And he finds that if he can go on the run, he can go faster by himself. And he'll spend the next 40 years as a shepherd by himself, taking care of sheep in the desert. 40 years. He's used to this. But if you want to go far, if you want to thrive for the long haul, then you go together. You need people in your life. See, here's the challenge for us. The challenge for us is when, when crisis hits and whatever the crisis is for you, maybe, maybe it's a marriage crisis, maybe it's a relationship that you're in, maybe it's a financial crisis, maybe it's a health scare, that we have, we have these two options. Because what happens at this point, that we, are, we have this confrontation that we have to deal with that we have to begin to deal with. And here's option number one. It's isolation. It is isolation for us. And so we will say things like this. We'll say, well, I don't want to bother anyone with my problems. Or we'll say, well, I've been through worse before. And what we're saying is, well, I did it by myself then. I can do it by myself now. And then finally we come to the point of saying, I just can't do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. See, we can face crisis with isolation. Well, there's another option. It's relationship. And what has to happen here is you have to be willing to take the mask off. The mask that says, I've got it all together. The mask that says, well, I don't have any problems. The mask that says, you know, I I can just take care of myself. We have to take that off. And then finally we say, we go through this together. We go through this together. So here's the deal. We are all going to face crisis. This isn't a matter whether you're going to be in crisis or not. You're either in crisis right now, you're coming out of a crisis, or you're getting ready to go into a crisis. Isn't that good news? Aren't you glad you came to church today? (laughs) And here's what this thing... See, this is the option for us. These are two opposing things. Either we choose to face it in isolation... To where we come to the place, I can't do this anymore. Or we choose to allow people in to carry the burden with us, but you can't do both. You cannot do both. See, we just believe that better is together. We just believe that when we do it together, it's better. And let me show you why together is better. In Ecclesiastes, this is The wisest man outside of Jesus who ever walked on the face of the earth. This is Solomon who writes these words to us. He says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. See, there is synergy that happens when you come together. When you put oxen together, two oxen do not pull the same load as two oxen separately. That two oxen can actually pull the load of what three or four oxen could pull on their own. When you have two people who come together, it changes. The math changes. It's one plus one equals three. Everything changes. And Solomon says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. 
See, the way that God designed you is not for you to walk alone. The way that God designed you is to be hand in hand, shoulder to shoulder with other people that when you stumble and when you fall, that there is somebody there to pick you back up. Here's the way the Apostle Paul says it. He says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. See, Moses said, I can't carry this burden alone. And Paul comes along and he says, we carry each other's burdens. And God doesn't just take the burden away. He puts people in your life to help you carry it. But if I'm going to help carry your burden, I need to know what your burden is. And if you're going to help carry my burden, you need to know what my burden is. And Paul says, when we do this, in this way, we fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is what Jesus said the night before he was crucified. He says, I want you to love the way that I would love people. I want you to love people the way that I would love them. See, he changes everything for us. No longer am I loving you the way that I would love you. No, I love you the way that Jesus would love you. That is the law of Christ. And that changes everything. Listen, I can't carry everyone's burden, but I can carry someone's burden. Together is better. The Hebrew writer says it like this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I love that, spur one another on, how we can push each other along towards love and good deeds. See, this is the power of together, is because I push you towards love and good deeds. You push me towards love and good deeds. He says, not giving up the meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching that we are encouraging one another, that you need to have relationships where you encourage and other people are encouraging you. Listen, this is a one another faith. You don't mature past the point of needing one another. And there are some one another's that need you as well. And this is the way God designed it. God divinely designed this connection. There is a connection between community and faithfulness to God. There is this connection that God designed between other people and our faith walk with God. And if you are having trouble in your faith with God, in your faithfulness, it may be because you don't have people who are helping to carry the burden for you. Every now and then, someone will come up to me and they'll just go, well, this church is too big. Well, every church is too big if you don't know anyone. It was a few months ago, I had a, had a lady come up to me in the lobby, and she said, she says, I, I belong to a church, and she told me the church, it's a great church, it's just a smaller church. She said, I belong to this church for three years, and I never could get connected. I never really knew anybody. She says, I've been at the crossing for three months. She says, I have more friends than I've ever had. I feel so connected at this place. Here's what, here's what researchers tell us, that you have the capacity to know about 80 people well. So if you're in a church of 80, then you know 80 people. If you're in a church of 5,000, then you know about 80 people. It doesn't matter. It's getting connected to people that that's what matters. This is why I need, this is why you need, this is why we all need a therapist. 
Okay, no, maybe not. Maybe. Maybe some of you do. This is why we need a circle. This is why we need a circle. We need to be connected in circles because we believe that circles are better than rows. See, rows are great. When we come in here and we sit in rows, these are great. I love what we do in here. Listen, I've dedicated my life to making this a relevant place to grow. We learn in rows, but we connect in circles. We connect through small groups. See, intuitively, we know this. Because if you're a dad and you need to have an awkward conversation with your kids, what do you do? You put them in the car. So you're in a row together. That way you don't have to look at them. And so you have the whole birds and the bees talk and say, did you you get that? Yeah, dad, got it. Let's go home. Because that's what you do. But if you want to have a heart-to-heart conversation, you have it across from a table where you can look them in the eyes and they can look you in the eyes. See, we know that this is true. That, that circles are better than rows. And God's design to fully follow Jesus happens in a circle. And at the crossing, community is found in small groups where we have five or 10 or 15 people coming together. And it's in this connection that we fulfill the law of Christ, that we begin to love the way that Jesus would love. So here's my question for you. Is there anyone outside your family who shares the burden with you? Is there anyone outside of your family that is encouraging your faith, that's pushing you towards love and good deeds? Is there anyone outside of your family where you are encouraging their faith That you're spurring them on. You're encouraging them. You're cheering them. You keep going. Don't give up. Do you have anyone else? See, here's what I believe is that God accepts you just the way you are. God accepts you just the way you are. But God's acceptance doesn't mean he wants to just keep you here. He wants you to be transformed to be more like Jesus. And you ought to be more like Jesus today than you were a year ago. And transformation means that you ought to be more like Jesus a year from now than you are today. And the primary way that you are transformed is to be around people who are being transformed. The primary way that God transforms you to be more like Jesus is to be around other people who are being transformed by Jesus. So my challenge for you, instead of just leaving here and going, well, that was a nice message, Shane. Thank you. That was really nice. Instead of that, what if you made a commitment for a spiritual connection? To have some spiritual friendships. Because we believe that true, authentic spiritual change cannot happen without other people in your life. And so I want to pray with you. So I want to pray together. And maybe for you, it's just beginning to pray this prayer. God, give me the courage to open up my life to other people. To be part of a group. To encourage other people. To share the burden with them. God, we come here today knowing that There are so many who have carried an incredible burden in this room. 
and it is too heavy for them to carry. I imagine there are so many people in here who just feel like I cannot carry it anymore. And just to hear your words and say, I never intended for you to carry it by yourself. But to share the burden. So God, that's what we want to do. Give us the courage to share each other's burdens, to carry each other's burdens. And in that way, we show the love of Christ to the people around us. So give us that courage. Give us the boldness. Help us to take off the mask. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.